chapter five of prince or chauffeur a story of newport by lawrence perry this librivox recording is in the public domain at trinity old trinity rests on the hillside serene in the afterglow of its one hundred and eighty-four years the spotless white walls the green blinds the graceful colonial spire are meetly set in an environment which strikes no note of dissonance on either side are quaint narrow streets lined with decent dooryards and houses almost as old as the church within the cool interior the cottagers and representatives of a native aristocracy direct descendants of the english of the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries who are so conservative so proudly scornfully aloof that one would doubt they existed at all were it not for their stately homes in the older sections of the city where giant elms keep watch and ward over eave and column and dormer window where hydrangeas sweep the doorstep and fawn and satyr rough-hewn peer through the shrubbery sit primly in the box-like pews with the preacher towering above them under the white sounding-board the church was not half filled when armitage and thornton arrived but a double line of visitors were standing in the rear aisle armitage caught the eye of one of the ushers and beckoned to him but that frock-coated austere personage coldly turned his glance elsewhere and armitage had started forward to enlist his attention in a manner that would admit of no evasion when his companion caught him by the sleeve chuckling look here old chap he whispered you have to wait until they know how many pew-holders are going to be absent this isn't a theatre armitage turned his head to reply when a rustling of skirts sounded behind him and thornton punched him in the ribs the wellington bunch he whispered and the russian they have captured it was a fine entry as circus folks say first came mrs wellington in a simple but wonderfully effective embroidered linen gown then her two sons likely enough boys and then anne wellington with prince koltsov she almost touched armitage as she passed the skirt of her lingerie frock swished against his ankles and behind she left not perfume but an intangible essence suggestive somehow of the very personality of the cool beautiful lithe young woman as armitage turned in response to thornton's prod in the ribs he met her eyes in full but she gave no sign of recognition and of course armitage did not the wellingtons had two pews according to the diagram on the rear seats and as armitage followed the party with his eyes he saw the mother her daughter and the prince enter one the boys seating themselves in the stall ahead in the meantime the congregation had assembled in large numbers and the body of the church as well as the side aisles were comfortably filled from time to time the ushers with machine-like precision took one or two persons from the patiently waiting line of non-pew holders and escorted them to seats a proceeding which began to irritate armitage seeing which thornton grinned and observed sotto voce that one might worship here only at the price of patience it's the sheep and the goats jack he whispered 
i don't know about the sheep but we're the goats all right replied armitage and i for one am going to beat it right now he had started for the door and thornton was following when an usher hurrying up touched him on the shoulder bowing unctuously miss wellington he said asked to have you gentlemen shown into the wellington pew his voice clearly indicated that he felt he had been neglecting angels unawares to say nothing of a desire to atone for his indiscretion the young men nodded as indifferently as the situation seemed to require and followed the man to the stall in which the boys were seated who pushed in hospitably enough and then returned to their prayer-books it must be said that two handsomer men or men better constructed physically never sat together in old trinity thornton a perfect brawny rangy blond armitage shorter better knit perhaps with shoulders just as broad and short crinkling brown hair surmounting his squarely defined sun-browned features the sermon was somewhat revolutionary but anne wellington paid but slight attention while the good clergyman warned his hearers of the terrible reckoning which must eventually come from neglect by the upper classes of the thousands born month after month in squalor and reared amid sordid vicious surroundings the girl's eyes rarely wandered from the two men in front of her it was uplifting conducive to healthful normal emotions to look at them and such emotions were exactly what she needed radiating as it were from prince koltsov was an influence she did not like on the contrary feeling its power she had begun to fear it he attracted her peculiarly she could not quite explain the sensation it was indefinable vague but palpable nevertheless then he was high in the russian nobility upon terms of friendship with the czar a prominent figure in the highest society of european capitals his wife would at once take a position which any girl might covet true she would probably be unhappy with him after the first bloom of his devotion but then she might not she might be able to hold him miss wellington flattered herself that she could and if not well she would not be the first american girl to pocket that loss philosophically and be content with the contractual profits that remained a russian princess of the highest patent of nobility there was a thrill in that thought which while it did not dominate her might eventually have that effect at all events she found it not at all objectionable that prince koltsov was apparently enamoured of her of this she was quite certain he had a way of looking his devotion his luminous blue eyes were wonderful in their expressiveness they could convey almost any impression in the gamut of human emotions save perhaps kindliness and among other things they had told her he loved her that was flattering but the trouble was that so often his eyes made her blush confusedly without any reason more tangible than that he was looking at her anne wellington was as thoroughly feminine as any girl that ever lived and had always gloried in her sex she had never wished she were a man still there is a happy mean for every normal american girl and already she had begun to wonder if the prince was ever going to forget that she was a woman and treat her as an ordinary human being with the question of sex in the abstract at least yet on the other hand there was that thrill which she could not deny she felt as though she were living through an experience and was curious as to the outcome with her curiosity was a challenge with all for the first time in her life she was afraid of herself and so she found her study of the two young men in front of her 
wholesome and antiseptic as kipling says as the preacher suddenly paused and then demanded in ringing tones what those of the upper classes intended to do about the situation which he had been eloquently portraying a portly old gentleman whose breath would have proclaimed that he had had a cocktail at the reading-room before service heaved a loud hopeless sigh she saw thornton nudge armitage with his shoulder and the replying grin wrinkle jack's face swiftly her eyes turned sideways to the prince he was sitting half turned in the seat regarding her with worshipping gaze she thrilled under the contrast compared to the men in front of her koltsov was a mere yes a mere monkey what did he take her for a schoolgirl filled with her emotions she impulsively opened a little gold pencil with which she had been toying and wrote rapidly upon one of the blank pages of her hymnal which later she surreptitiously tore out when the service was ended and armitage and thornton with slight bows of acknowledgment passed into the aisle the girl leaned toward the younger of her two brothers muck she said be a good chap and give this note to the dark-haired man who sat next to you do it nicely now muck so no one will see you i'll pay you back for it hurry muck who adored his sister nodded and worked his way through the departing worshippers until he came up with armitage he pushed the note into the young officer's hand and as armitage started in surprise the boy nodded his head knowingly say nothing he warned so well had the boy carried it through that not even thornton observed the incident armitage said nothing to enlighten him but spread the page open in his hand as though he had taken a memorandum from his pocket it was as follows my dear mr prize-fighter i was really serious the other day about your applying for the position of physical instructor my small brothers were mauled by sailors the other day and mother is keen for someone who will teach them how to obtain their revenge some day you might see mother or her secretary any morning after eleven i have spoken to both about you a v d w twice armitage read it and then he folded it carefully and placed it in his breast pocket a curious smile playing over his face we think he said addressing himself under his breath as was his wont upon occasion we think we shall keep this for future reference for we never know how soon we may need a job it has been observed ere this how many truths are sometimes spoken in jest End of chapter five